Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Wintertime Bottom Fishing, and we're going to be talking to Captain Byron Schultz of Going Bogue Outdoors out of the Atlantic Beach area. We're going to be covering such topics as looking for bottom, productive bottom, boat positioning, available species, techniques, and then we're going to finish with a reminder of the importance of safety in the wintertime months. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post, and Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest effort, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. And it is in this series where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insights on how to catch more fish more often. And in this endeavor, I am joined this week, just as I am every week, with my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, always good to be talking to you this week, no exception, of course. Yeah, Gary, good to see you, man. Always, always a fun time on the Fish Post podcast, that's for sure. So really appreciate everybody uh, joining us. I forgot to mention this in the last episode, but we actually crossed, at the time of recording that episode, had crossed over 2,000 subscribers on YouTube. Um, over 90,000 people have listened to our podcast on a podcast player across the world. And uh, and I think over 100,000 have actually viewed it on YouTube. So so really cool, man. A lot of a lot of cool people in our community. So really appreciate everyone uh, doing that. I just wanted to shout that out, Gary, because I forgot in the last episode. Um, and making it all possible are our sponsors. So it's pretty yes. cool to 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 be partnered up with them and to you know Marine Warehouse in particular has really sponsored uh, this podcast since episode number five. Uh, and really making all this stuff happen and letting us you know do do all the fun stuff that we're doing and producing the show. So really appreciate them. I got a quick message from Gary and I'll jump back and you can make up some bad jokes that somebody <laughs> said from Marine Warehouse. <laughs> A Marine Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats, we have parts, we have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have it. At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water, and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. Awesome. All right. They are. They're great dudes, man. I mean, you know, had a relationship with them long before the podcast. But I'm with you, Billy, from early on. I mean, and you know, as you know this, but as a reminder, they reached out to us and said, man, love what you're doing. We want to be a part of it. So it wasn't even them responding to a pitch. And that goes a long way, man. I'm, I hope we are helping Marine Warehouse Center, you know, solidify their customer base, whether it's sales, service, or parts, man. They help out the Fisherman's Post Boat. I hope you decide to let them help you guys out. Yeah, and, and really the problem with the fisherman's post boat is it doesn't get used enough. I mean, that's the only really problem. So, well, it gets used for family functions. It doesn't get used that often for fishing. <laughs> I am pretty candid about that. I do most of my fishing with professionals because those professionals do way better than I do on the fish post boat. But the fish post boat definitely gets its time on the water, makes the family, my well, wife and kids happy. And that's, is, you know, that's pretty, pretty important. 
You make Marine Warehouse job easy. Hey, Gary, just turn the ignition. Light it up a couple times. That's all you need to do. Uh, and joining our, our, our platinum sponsorship here with uh, Marine Warehouse is Bland Landscaping Co. Um, so I'll bring up their graphic here. So blandlandscaping.com slash careers. Uh, they are obviously been around for a really long time, since 1976. And they're looking for some outdoors men and women to join their team and uh, and come be a part of what they're doing. And they're, they're really prideful about one, taking care of their employees. They got a ton of benefits on their website. You can go check it out. Uh, but then also getting people to work early and getting them home early so they can spend time with their friends, family, and obviously spend some more time in nature and on the water, which is one of our goals here at Fisherman's Post to give you the tools to do that. Um, and then another company that we came on that reached out to us as well is R.A. Hitch. Hitch's trailers, bike racks, and more. Chris and his team very supportive of the podcast, so be sure to uh, keep them in mind when you're looking to rig out your truck or trailers and whatever you need, uh, put roof racks on top of your car, all that fun stuff. Be sure to give them a call and, and make the trip up there, even if you're on the coast. Make the trip over. It's only a couple hours away. So, Yeah, man. love our sponsors. I, I, mean, I was sitting there thinking, you're talking about bland landscaping. Like, that is definitely in the realm of career and not job. I mean, I think that's what those guys are going to great lengths to do is to make it a career and not just a job. And then as we've said before, man, the professionalism of RA Hitch, I think it's just someone that you want to align with if you've got a reason and they are the company, you know, I think you want a relationship with RA Hitch, quality people, quality guy, Chris. Yeah, man, absolutely. Professionals. And uh, obviously they sponsor the show, so they got to be making some really good decisions, really good people out there. <laughs> so right. We appreciate them. Uh, if you want to sponsor the show, reach out to me. It's Billy at fishermanspost.com. And I can get you some more information. Uh, and then keep us going with some coffee if you want to, to support Gary and I personally as creators. Buymeacoffee.com slash Fisherman's Post. We always will enjoy a cup of Joe on your behalf. So thank you so much, everyone, for the support. Speaking of coffee, Uh-oh. I was suspicious when Emmett of Marine Warehouse Center said, hey, man, you want to go grab a cup of coffee? Oh, boy. I'm like, Emmett, what the hell are you doing talking to me about coffee? You never call me about coffee. Well... I just want to tell you a joke, man. I just want to be the joke guy. I want, I don't want Terrell to be the joke guy. I want to be the joke guy. I was like, all right, we don't have to go get coffee. Give me your joke. I'll let you bully Terrell for at least a little bit. And this is what he came up with. Are you ready for Emmett's joke? Again, not Terrell's, not Gary's. This is Emmett's joke. Why is an octopus always ready for war? I have no idea. Because they're well armed. All right, that's pretty good. No, I don't, you know what? I might just be an easy audience. I don't know. I like comedy. <laughs> you <funny>. are. <laughs> All right. You are I'll an easy it. audience. Um, that's what I got. But now, I, I didn't mean to I'll interrupt the rhythm. Now, you know what I would love? I would love to see a fish photo. I'm going to show it to you. Here's Warren Phillips of Riceville Beach with a... That says 5.3 pounds. For anybody watching, that does not say 53 pounds. The font looks a little weird. Uh, with a rock hind grouper that fell for a live pinfish. Uh, he was fishing 48 miles off of Wrightsville Beach. Uh, Good-looking fish. I'm a little jealous. He's way out there. Looks like a ton of fun. And you know what? He's in that short sleeve shirt, and that is not what Byron and I are getting ready to talk about. We're getting ready to talk about wintertime bottom fishing which is challenging, but rewarding. And Byron will tell us more about that, but short sleeve shirt on that big blue, warm looking watercolor, <laughs> not, not, not this happening. podcast. 
<laughs> not this podcast. Yeah, it's just gearing people up for the spring and summer. So what I want you to do, Billy, is as I'm talking with our guest Byron, I want you to pay attention. And I will coming back to you for Billy's best takeaway at the end of my chat with Byron Schultz. I'm excited, man. You guys have fun. We'll see you on the other side. All right. So now it's my pleasure to welcome to the show Captain Byron Schultz of Going Bogue Outdoors out of the Atlantic Beach area. Byron, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the podcast. Pleasure to have you, man. Hey, Gary. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So I know that you're familiar with this, the tradition with Fisherman's Post. Before we talk about wintertime bottom fishing is two questions, the traditional two questions. As soon as you tell me you're ready to go, I'm going to give you question number one. Well, we're ready for it. Question number one, why should we listen to anything you have to say about bottom fishing? Why? Um, I guess the best stake for that question would be the fact that I've transitioned from being a bottom fisherman as a recreational angler to a charter fisherman successfully. And I've gone from being a charter captain to being a commercial fisherman successfully. So with each of those leaps becomes a progressively better fisherman that you have to be to be successful. Um, for instance, now I'm getting paid for the amount of fish I catch versus before just getting paid for the experience of going fishing before just paying to go fish. Um, I think that would stake the best claim as to why you should listen to what I have to share. I, I think that's a very good answer. I mean, that might be one of the better answers we've had to that question. Um, question number two, as tradition goes, is a non-fishing related question. Are you ready, sir, for question number two? Let's hear it. All right. Bottom is another name for butt. So I have a butt question for you, Byron. How many times, on average, do people fart in a day, 24 hours? Let me guess uh, seven. Um, you would have to double that to 15. And that is male. Uh, the website said that is male or female. 15 times a day is the average that people fart. But I can tell you that my kids are on the high side of that. So if you know some people on the low side, my kids are bringing up the average. I'm definitely well above average. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk bottom fishing. Let's talk wintertime bottom fishing. And again, you're out of the Atlantic Beach area. And what we have here, you know, as is, as is the gig with bottom fishing, you know, you got to be in the right spot. So for wintertime, and I guess to even be more clear, we are talking about after the first of the year. So this isn't a grouper podcast. This is to help those bottom fishermen get through those months that are historically closed to grouper. So in those January, February, March months, you know, what's the goal? How are you go about finding productive bottom? So, you know, we're going through a transition phase here. We just, the 31st hit shallow water species is closed for commercial. Um, all grouper is closed recreationally and charter. And we're looking for opportunities to fish, to catch fish. Um, given the weather windows that we have in January, February, all the way up till, I guess, you know, March, mid-March. And traditionally what I'm looking for when I'm going out, you know, against somebody that wants to go after the first of the year, they want to go bottom fish. It's a pretty day. You can lay slick sometimes in January. You know, I'm going to look for productive opportunities where I don't have to freeze them off on the way out. You know, if it's going to be cold, I want to look for opportunities kind of closer to home. Um, you know, I might run 15, 18 miles 
and I'm going to start looking at relatively well-known spots because as we know, the nice thing about fishing during this period is the lack of fishing pressure. So if we cut all the fishing pressure off of traditionally very public numbers, you know, very well-known places, all of a sudden we have very productive feeding and hungry fish that are just used to being fished for, used to feeding, used to have a variety of baits available to them to eat. And so that's going to be my first stop. All right. So what, uh, I guess what I'm asking, wondering is like, again, we're talking out of Atlantic beach. So what is some of the water temperatures that are standard, you know, everything fluctuates, but what is some of the standard water temperatures that you expect that time of year? So I'm thinking January timeframe, I'm looking 55, 58 degree water. Uh, the grouper after the closure of the 31st, traditionally they spawn in about 56 degree water. Um, and I was fit, you know, coming into that first of the year, I was fishing and looking for the grouper that would be kind of surface temperature around 66, 67, 68. So I might've been running a little bit further for that period of time, looking for my shallow water species that I'm going to be looking for now, just going for the sea bass and, and the other fish that are closer to home. Now, if I'm going to start running and looking for the bee liners and the trigger fish, which are another target species that I'm going for. I'm going to start running into a deeper water column, but also going to look at traditional places that they would be before the closure as well of, of the groupers. Cause that's a water column that I've probably already fished, but just not in the manner that I'd be fishing for now that groupers closed. So, all right. So I'm going to try to keep up here and I'm, I'm a little slow filming here in the evening time. <laughs> so if we are deciding to go short, we're more in the range of 15 ish miles out in popular spots. And if we're going 15 miles out, then the most probable targets that we're going to hit on the bottom with grouper being closed are what? It's going to be black sea bass. It's going to be a primary target with, uh, I guess your, that's your target species. Your bycatch will be, uh, knob porgies, and you're going to have a lot of, you know, dogfish. Um, that would be kind of your burden fish. All right. And then if I want to go further out, if the weather window allows and I am hot for trigger and beeliners, then I'm typically, you're going to start at how far off in those winter months? It, you know, it fluctuates, Gary. I'd like to say that I'd prefer to run 25 or 30 miles, but odds are I'm going to probably run further than that to find what I'm looking for. And that's a plethora of hungry fish. And so I'm going to ask you a question that you may not know the answer to, you know, so I'm going to apologize in advance because I, I realize as I'm sitting here talking to you about miles out of, you know, Beaufort Inlet, you know, off of Atlantic beach. And there's going to be people here listening to this that aren't necessarily fishing out of that inlet. You know, so is this something that would translate as far as water depth? Like, so the water depth of black sea bass for you, you think would be the same, whether you're fishing out of Ocean Isle or Wrightsville Beach and the water depth for triggers and beeliners is, does that, I, does I, bottom fishing work that way? It, for the most part, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd consider consistent water calms and temperature breaks being consistent with, with fish catches in, in this, you know, Onslow Bay area from you know cape lookout down to cape fear there and so 15 miles out of uh beaufort inlet has put me in how many feet of water uh you're looking roughly you know 12 fathoms um you know so you're looking 60 70 feet of water i might be looking for a good consistent sea bass fish 
I'm going to look at about 80 to 90 feet of water at, at, you know, maybe the outer edge of that. But I'll tell you that a lot of keeper fish will be caught around that 15 mark. And that's a good place to start looking for a consistent, you know, healthier than a 14, 15 inch fish. And then same question about water depth for triggers and beeliners. It, it really depends on, on where the Gulf Stream is at that moment. I'm saying kind of around mid 60s, depending on how far I've run. Um, that's what, at least where I'd like it to be. Um, on up into the 70s would be ideal if, if you get that kind of warm push of water, if it's still around. So you're talking more water temperature for those fish and not water depth. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm getting mixed up. Oh, no, you're fine. Um, for me, it's it's a lot of that also kind of deals with depth, too. Uh, I think you're really looking at, you know, around, and I, I'm sorry, I kind of operate more in fathoms and feet, so I'm kind of doing the math. I'd say about 140 feet would be kind of where I'm starting to look for the one to two size beeliner. They're, they're grouped and, you know, I'll regress and digress here real quick. Um, one to two size would be your smaller keeper size beeliners, what we call them commercially. That's how they're categorized. And then the bigger ones would be the two to fours. The two to four fish live in that, you know, 40, 60 fathom water more often. So you're looking 200 foot plus, whereas now uh, the one to two size I mean, you can find them as close as 18 miles right now or, or 20 miles. But but when we're really going to start looking for them in January, they'll probably be right there in that 140 foot, 110 to 140 foot of water. Okay. Um, now, I'm, now I'm oriented, man. Um, I think I have my head wrapped around it. I appreciate your patience. So oh, no as worries. far as... As far as this podcast goes, let's go with the closer in. Let's go with the closer fish first. So sea bass is the primary sure. target. You know the 15 miles or the 70, maybe even 80 feet of water. And if that's my goal, you know, and I follow about you know popular spots. I actually love that insight about man. They're not being pressured, so they're they might be popular other times of the year, but they're not popular in the winter time because there's such little pressure. So what is it that you're looking for? Are you looking for live bottom? Are you looking for structure? Are you looking for ledges? Like what is the sea bass recipe for you? For me, um, I keep it simple. I mean, I'm looking for just marking the fish, which if you're in a good cloud, what it looks like on your sonar uh, of sea bass, you'll, you'll see a, a large mark of relatively equal sized squiggles, which are the fish. Um, coming up off the bottom and that's something that I'll be looking for as I'm running uh, if you've got a good chirp sonar system in your boat you can see these quickly you know hit a mark on your GPS come back around if it's consistent with a larger fish mark you know drop a bait down on it if it's something small then then not but this time of year if you're running out that way this it's going to be consistent with with what you're going to see is going to be sea bass as far as those big clouds being and that near shore you know, up to 18, 20 miles offshore. And you see what you're like, I'm guessing you're anchoring up. You know, it really depends this time of year. I'm, I'm young, but I still don't like throwing my back out, yanking the anchor in and out of the boat. So, uh, if I can get away drift fishing for them, I will, because I can catch them just as easily on a drift as I can anchored. Uh, I think only reason I'd really anchor is if, I found a good class of fish in a very specific area and I felt the need to hover right there because they only bit consistently right there. And that could be due to currents. Uh, it could be due to, um, just the nature of that spot itself. 
you know, if it's a certain kind of ledge or something and they're enjoying, you know, being honed in on a one ideal area, then I will, you know, lay the anchor down for that. But ideally I'd like to be able to drift fish for them because hauling the anchor out is not fun on a spring day or a summer day, but when it's winter time, the water's cold. I already broke ice off to just get out there that day. And now I got to pull the anchor out, which is in 50 some odd degree water. And it might be ambient air temperature of 40. It's just not a, not a fun addition to the recipe of the day. Um, that is a fair answer. So we're going to try to get them on the drift and I'm on your boat and we found a cloud and you have confidence. What are you putting in my hand? You know, I, I traditionally fish with meat, so I'm going to go with like a standard, standard uh, chicken rig. I like having the weight at the bottom so that, you know, you see these, uh, you know, traditional, you know, Carolina rig with a weight and then the hook below it. I want the weight at the very bottom. And the reason being is I'll be able to feel the bite much better than having the weight than the hook with that kind of rig. And I like doing two hooks on it because usually if I find one of these fish at this time of year, there's going to be a bunch of them. So I want to have the opportunity to at least catch two, or at least if I hand it to you, Gary, I know you're going to feed one. So I want you to be able to have another hook there to catch the one you just fed. <laughs> um, that's fair. That is very fair. And I own that. I, I resemble that remark. I own that remark, man. Uh, so on your standard chicken rig, how, far is the first hook up from the weight and then how far is the second hook from the first hook are we covering a fair amount of water column or pretty tight i'd say you know when i'm really quickly making rigs i'll do an arm length for me which is six feet and change and i'll you know if i'm if i'm doing it real quick you know if i if i say oh i don't have any rigs made and i'm on fish right now it's as easy as pulling an arm length of 80 pound mono doing a loop at the top and two dropper loops about you know eight, 10 inches off and having my weight, just a loop at the end there to loop through the lead. So the whole rig itself would probably be about, you know, two and a half, three feet. And uh, that usually does okay if they're centralized on the bottom. And even if not, they'll usually swim down there and eat it. And then people love specifics, man. Do you have a certain hook you like to use? I like using like a five aught or six aught circle hook. Um, that usually does me pretty well. Uh, I get a lot of sea bass grouper fishing as bycatch with a 10-aught circle hook. Uh, it's not as easy to catch a grouper on a 10-aught than it is a 5-aught, but it can be done. So in the name of the game of it being January and I'm not trying to catch a gag, I, I'd opt for a 5 or a 6. And then what's your favorite bait that time of year? Usually I'll buy a flat of squid wing. Um, and it's really nice because it comes in these nice, pretty uniform chunks about that big and you can really just go with it. And I'm a, I'm a king of keeping it simple. I'd say just, you know, a piece about the tip of your thumb, something like that on the rig. And that usually can get them going. If not, you know, if you transition to something more bloody, like an albacore chunk or a shad, or, you know, you're probably cleaning out your bait freezer at the same time. So, you know, you got maybe ballyhoo or something else old in there, it'll work, but I'm deterring the thought of there being dogfish or sharks around to, to get them enticed into biting. So if I can get away fishing with squid and having success, I'll, I'll keep it that way. So the squid, nothing's foolproof, but the squid is pretty effective at keeping the dogfish off. And it's usually when you go to some other kind of cut bait that that bite picks up. That, 
yeah, for the most part, that seems pretty consistent with what I've seen on my end. Now I've caught plenty of them on the squid too. If they're hungry, they'll eat, you know, pretty much anything. But um, that is something that I definitely uh, would recommend if, you, if you've got trouble with sharks, probably just try to cut away from something that's so bloody or, or has so much scent to it. Now I'll also touch on the fact of uh, fishing with a jig for these sea bass. That is a preferred method for a lot of anglers. A lot of anglers that come from up north that, uh, you know, they, they're used to the cold weather. Uh, they're used to catching bigger sea bass than, than we are, and they catch togs and some other good fish up there on the bottom. Um, they really do enjoy that, you know, fast, light jig, you know, small, high-speed jigging for these for these fish, and that keeps a lot of sharks off, too, because you're not introducing bait into the water. And so are you doing much of that fishing, or you usually just do that I, to accommodate to someone it. that requests? Yeah, you know, I cater to it. But as far as me going out there commercially and doing it, I'm, I'm going to be fishing with meat. Uh, it, it's what puts meat on the deck, um, you know, and it wears you out, too. It's, it's a, lot, a good workout. But when it's cold, it's a good thing to do. You know, it gets the blood flowing, gets gets a good pull. And uh, it's something to always freshen up on is, is high-speed jigging. So this next question, I'm going to talk a little bit to set it up. So when I go bottom fishing, I never miss a bite. But I'm sure you have some clients that do miss a bite. So as far as sea bass fishing goes, you know, if you have someone pretty new to it, you know, is there any advice you give to them about when to reel, about not pulling up the lot, not pulling up the rod? Like, what is the advice to someone who's new to bottom fishing and is just having a little trouble getting a fish on the hook? I'd say that if they chose January to go out to catch sea bass and they couldn't hook one, that they probably should pick another hobby. But that being said... <laughs> Um, if they're having an issue with it, I think a lot of it comes down to if you're circle hook fishing and not used to it, it's understanding that you're not setting the hook is that the hook is doing its work itself. You're just turning the handle. So as soon as you feel it bite, especially with sea bass, it seems like you turn it, they're there or they're not. So, um, when I've got clients that are frustrated, they're usually just not listening. Um, that's usually why women are much better first time clients than men are because they know how to listen really well. Um, and, and, you know, that's just something that with time, especially with circle hooks, a lot of people are so used to the J hook method of just going bill dance with it, you know, rod tip to the, you know, T top. And, and that's just not how these things work. Man. Uh, so this is where I'm going to say any last thoughts on sea bass fishing, and then we're going to head off and talk triggers and beeliners. Not much. Um, I will say, you know, you get a lot more of these, I think they call them, you know, humpbacks and fullbacks are like the bigger sea bass and they got that knob in the head of them. And it just, as far as a good eating fish on the bottom, those ones that are real thick like that are just such a good eating fish. So um, it is always worth it to go out there and, and target these species during this time, because like I said, they're, they're pretty plentiful recreational bag of seven per person. You know, you get a few people on the boat, you can come home with a pretty good haul and not have to go very far or, or invest in a lot of different rigs to, to have a successful day. Um, I share your opinion that sea bass are delicious, absolutely delicious. So we are on the same page there. But now take me further off the beach, man. Talk to me about trigger fish and uh, beeliner options. And then I, I, you know, I guess we'll start with the same question, man. What are you looking for that you say, all right, this is my spot. Let's try dropping here. Uh, for me, it's, it's I'm going to go to... Uh, the deeper end of, of where I usually fish for them, just because I know that they're probably going to be pushing that direction. 
um, based on the water temps and whatnot. Sometimes it's a surprise. Sometimes it could be the other way, but uh, for the most part, that's where I'm going to be. And a little interesting fact here I'll share about the bee liners is the one to two size. They're actually going to fatten up in the winter time, and they're going to put about, you know, a one pound fish will be about 0.3 of a pound heavier, the same fish, and it's going to put the weight on around the tail. And you'll see it if, if you fish a lot. And, and that's just something that they do in the winter time. They're feeding up, they're fattening up, and they're just going to try to stick it out. Um, so that for us commercially, that that's something that we take into regard because now all of a sudden I'm doing 33% better on every fish or whatever the math adds up to right there. Um, fishing for these fish now that grouper are closed, you know, it gives me an incentive to go beeline or fish. Um, rigs and, and, and targeting these fish when I'm looking for them, I'm going to go with a lot smaller of a circle hook. I'm going to use pretty much the same bait. I'm going to go with the squid again if they if they bite it sometimes a little bloodier it gets them chewing faster and then i kind of transition off of it that's another thing i didn't mention with the sea bass is if they're not biting for some odd reason and you can get them on something bloody see if you can switch them back real quick to the squid and, and keep your bottom at you know at bay without without making it like a chum slick down there and so now that you know we're, we're in that deeper water column looking for these fish you know, there's going to be other predators and other other fish out there too, but it seems like the dogfish centralize around that more near shore bottom than when we're getting out deeper now. Now we're in 110, 140 feet looking for bee liners or, or maybe up to 200 feet triggers and bee liners. And is it the same with the sea bass? Like you need to see a cloud on the screen before you say, this is our spot, let's try this? Traditionally, yeah, that's, that's going to be what I'm looking for because if I'm going to go out there and at this time of the year, I'm mostly just going to be commercial fishing. First of all, I'm, I'm not going to be out there. There, there aren't a whole lot of guys that call me and say, Hey man, we're down here for the weekend. We really want to go catch a beeline or like some kind of bad, <laughs> um, that, that, that's a conversation I've never had. And, and I don't plan to, but that's all right. Um, so if, if we can go and, and, and find them that thick, I know I can have a productive day and, and any minute when you're commercial fishing and you're not, finding good fish you're losing time you're losing money so it's it's all about finding the best fish for that day um and so yeah i'm, I'm gonna look for these marks and to describe them on your sonar you know it seems like the trigger fish on my machine have a little bit more curvature just like the curvature of the fish you know the, the, that's how your sonar is going to mark them and your bee liners are going to be a lot more of a cloud formation they're going to be less put together or less defined as a as a uh excuse me as a sea bass and they're going to be like i said a, a more of a cloud formation especially the one to twos if you get into that deeper water say that 240 feet ish and you're going for those two to four size beeliners those bigger ones the marks are going to be a little bit more larger and uh and that's that's just going to be more consistent with that water column of fish and are you seeing them on the bottom like sea bass or do you find them up the water column a little bit more? You know, I would say that for the most part, you're going to find them on the bottom until you start fishing for them. Um, I've had it before where I've had the trigger fish anchored on them. They were biting really good in this time, you know, mid-January. And I've had them come all the way to the bottom of the boat, just, just fishing them up the water column. And you can see, you know, you, you get a couple on at a time, you know, you're reeling them up. And then you can even see on your machine, if you pull one off, you can see him swim back to the bottom and then he kind of meets his friends and they, they start working their way up. And I mean, 
I've got friends and, and, you know, I've got video to prove. I mean, they can get right below the boat to where you're pitch baiting them. You know, they're right there. And, and the same phenomenon even happens more so, it seems like, with the beeliners. If they're really hungry, you can get them up to the top. If you've introduced enough squid chunks and stuff to where they're saying, oh, we're, we're, we're feeding from up there. That's where it's coming from. They're, they're going to work their way up there. Man, uh, again, my crowd likes specifics, and if you said it, I didn't pick up on it. But when you say smaller hooks, you got a you got a number for me on that. I do. Uh, trigger fish, I want to go with a one aught circle, and the beeliners, I'm gonna go with a two aught, and that's pretty consistent with with what everybody likes to use as a size one and a size two for the trigger and the beeliner. Um, you know, I I've caught triggers on the two and i've caught beeliners on the one and you will find plenty of spots where they're mixed in together and you know that's pretty consistent with how they are as a fish um seems like the ones that are really feeding hard seems like it's it's more predominantly one than the other and same two hook chicken rig just dropping two hooks down yeah yeah you know i i think that's consistent you know especially if you're not used to doing a bunch, if you put four hooks on there, you just fed three and caught one instead of feeding two and catch one, you know? Um, and, and the more you do that, the quicker they, you know, every, I say this all the time, every time you drop, they get smarter and it's true. Um, so you just gotta be thinking about that. I say, okay, if I'm dropping, you know, I want to fill the boat up, but I'm dropping four hooks and they're all coming up robbed and I didn't catch fish. You know, those four fish just got smarter. Um, so, you know, being consistent with it, I like just doing the two hook rig. It's easy for me to make, and usually, unless something you know, unless someone's really experienced with it, they're not going to be able to catch that three or four at a time. Um, I can speak to that though about you know, if you are getting to that point where you're catching two at a time, there there is a good technique of you know hooking the first fish and, and almost giving it a pause, and you can actually feel the second fish bite and hook on and then you got both of them and you're working them both up at the same time um and that takes you know a little bit of experience you gotta have the right you know idea of how your fish are feeding at that time you know you get you know a lot of these fish especially with the triggers and the beeliners they will get to the point where they're getting so smart that they're eating it on the way down so you even got to be aware of that and if you're fishing by hand there's no way to know it if you're with a spinning reel and the bales just open if you're fishing conventionally and you're holding it, sometimes you can feel it in your thumb, like the pop, 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 and you can go ahead and flip the switch and start turning the handle and, and they're there. Um, so it's one of those things to be super aware of as they get smarter, as they get hungry and create this feeding frenzy. Um, it's something to keep in the back of your head. And so when we're, if I'm on your boat and we're trigger beeliner fishing, were you saying like, you don't even start with squid. You like go right to the cut bait and try to generate activity and then transition. Or do you drop some squid just to see? I'll usually start with squid. Uh, yeah, I'll usually start with the squid, but if, if for some reason they don't want to bite that, you know, dropping just like cutting tail off a shad, just like something like that. And just getting, introducing a little oil, a little bit of smell to the water column and seeing what that does. Um, just today I was beeliner fishing and it was like, as soon as you pulled up, they didn't want to bite. And so I did that. I just put two pieces of tail down and it was like, as soon as it hit the bottom, it was like, bump, bump, came up, brought them up, dehooked them. And then I went right back with squid and they bit that. So it's something that I've seen consistency in. It's not something that um, I think needs to happen all too often. It seems like, especially this January, February timeframe, they're just going to be hungry. Um, there's not going to be a lot of food and resources around, you know, these, 
these fish have fattened up and trying to stick it out. And, and sometimes, you know, occasionally they can be stubborn and not eat, but for, for the most part, they're seeing a, a meal in a time when they're not used to seeing one. This time of year, do you, and maybe you don't even do this in the warmer months, man, is it, are you putting out a light line? Is there anything else out there that is uh, swimming around or are you really just focused on, and I'm, I guess I'm saying if you were to take out a client, not necessarily a commercial trip. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, charter fishing, I do light line a little bit with, with just putting a live beat, you know, Tom Tate or something on the top. Um, my favorite thing is actually, I got it right here. This is going on the boat with me tomorrow. I like having a two ounce white bucktail and you can see all the paint missing on him. That's because just this October and November month that we've had, and even into January and these other times, you can pitch bait dolphin. You can pitch bait lost Wahoo even. I mean, these fish, they don't have a, a set schedule when they come and go. Um, they can get lost. And if you're introducing a squid trail like that, especially these V-liner and trigger fishing, you will find some some lost creatures and they'll come up they'll be hungry and uh, a two ounce white bucktail with just a squid strip or anything will, will catch a ton of fish and it's a lot of fun okay i'm gonna i'm gonna finish with the with uh getting you to talk about safety but before i transition to safety any last thoughts on trigger and beeliner fishing you know or anything that you thought of you know, maybe I mentioned this about sea bass. I guess some your final thoughts on bottom fishing before we go to safety. Just, you know, it, it's it's a tough time to be out on the water, but it can be rewarding. And when I'm out there doing it like this, I'd probably rather be sea bass fishing if I was just going to go for myself at this time of year. If I'm going to sell it or if people really want to go and do the trigger and, and beeliner stuff, you know, I'll go and, and do that instead. But for me personally, this time of year, uh, I'm going to go sea bass fishing. Right on. Well, what about safety, man? Someone's re someone's watching this podcast or listening to this podcast and thinking, man, I need a fix in January or February. I'm going to, I'm going to try this out. You know, from your experience, man, what is it necessary to consider before making the trip even, you know, 12, 15, 17 miles out? So if we can, you know, just think about the water that we're fishing in, the temperature. If you bring a life jacket on board a boat, even if you got an e-perv in your hand, in 70 degree water, you're pretty you're pretty well off right there, you know, with a PLB on your person if you're fishing alone, if you go overboard. In 55 degree water and, and lower, you're really you're really risking the odds of not making it. Um, and that's something you can't take lightly. This is a really tough time to be on the water. Um, I'd highly recommend if you are planning on doing any fishing this time of year to have a life raft on board. Uh, it's, it's required for us commercial snapper grouper boats to have one. Um, and I think it should be a requirement for a lot of the charter boats. I understand why it's not, it's very expensive and, and it's not easy to store, especially in the center console, like what I've got. And, and it's, you know, it's a pain cause you got to repack them every two years or every year after the first, after you buy it and then every year after that. So it is incredibly important. I know it's expensive, but that is something that you just, I can't stress safety enough, you know, being a sea tow captain as well here. Um, you know, we see a lot of boats break down in the winter time because people aren't taking care of their things or, you know, they are taking care of it, but they hadn't run it in a little while and they finally saw a little window to get out and fish. 
well, it's cold now, and, and they flushed the motor, and they didn't get all the water out of it, and it cracked a, you know, a very substantial part of their engine that they didn't realize until they're out the inlet and the tide was going out. Um, preparing and, and thinking about those uh, obstacles, I'll say, are, are, you know, integral to making sure you can make it back to the light, you know, to the dock with your life and, and everything intact. So, you know, having a paid, you know, towing service, whether it be towboat US or sea tow and, and doubling up on your safety. I mean, I've, I've got a picture that I sent that has me, I'm in blaze orange hat and gloves and I've got a yellow vest on and I've got uh, a, a PLB on myself with a engine stop switch on the, on, on the PLB and I got an ACR, um, I guess that's what that locator beacon is all on my life vest. It's an inflatable type. And so that's what I'd wear when I'm out there fishing by myself. And I might not even be out of sight of land, but that's just what you've got to do. I got it, man. I mean, I'm with you that it is unforgiving there in the winter time. And just for the record, you are recommending that someone get a towboat membership. Is that what I just, is that what I just heard? If, if that's all that they can afford, then they should go for it. <laughs> Byron, last question, man, is, you know, you're busy year round. And while you might be a little bit more focused on commercial fishing here in these winter months, I know that you have a vibrant charter business that you've been growing and working on. So how about the quick highlight reel, you know, when the winter months warm up and grouper comes back in the season, I guess you're targeting grouper, you know, from May through the end of the year, but what else are you doing? What do you want the people to know who might be thinking, man, this is a dude I'd like to fish with? Well, I, you know, I could say starting in mid-March, you know, we, we start having a great Wahoo run here all the way until May. Uh, I enjoy people, you know, coming and enjoying that. But really, I think my biggest bread and butter of, of what I can offer is that May through August time of uh, either shallow water gag fishing or doing the deeper water complex with electric reels, uh, going for uh, tile fish, a snowy grouper, um, these big beeliners, big red porgies. It's a great var variety. You know, we get Toro fish, you know, all sorts of really cool things out there in the deep. And it's just a really cool opportunity to do. And that, that's definitely uh, what I enjoy doing the most and having people come and do with me is just, you know, the thing about bottom fishing is you never know what you're gonna pull up. And it's always exciting getting somebody's first fish or landing the big one. What about the fall, man? What gets you excited about fall fishing? Traditionally, fall is, is another great Wahoo time. Uh, you know, the gag grouper bite is, is my bread and butter from, you know, August through December if, if the water's right. And it can be awesome. You know, another nice thing about the fall is we usually, well, end of summer to fall is we get, you know, our red snapper season. Um, you know, I'll probably be booked up for the next five years for that one weekend we usually get. Um, but, but that's also another thing to look forward to late summer and early fall. Um, but, but just like we had talked about here today, this, this sea bass, um, beeliner and trigger fishing is all something that, um, are just big in the mix with, with grouper fishing. And like we said, when, when you came fishing with me, you know, we're grouper fishing, but everything else is bycatch, but it doesn't hurt if the bycatch is edible and it's, it's good. And it's something I also enjoy catching. I'm, I agree, man. I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I look forward to getting back out on your boat and feeding some more fish and making some more fish smarter and then hopefully hooking a couple of the dumb ones. Absolutely. Absolutely. Always happy to do that. Byron, thank you for your time, man. This has been a great podcast. It's been a great chat, man. I mean, I'm 
bottom fishing has a special place in my heart and i've thoroughly enjoyed what you shared with us man me too gary i just appreciate everything the fisherman's post done and uh look forward to getting back out there as well all right man have a good night you too take care Brian. billy gary 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 (laughs) billy's best takeaway hey wake up billy it's time for your best takeaway i got my notebook And I quote, if you can't hook a sea bass in January, you need a new hobby. <laughs> I, I agree. Need a new hobby, man. I might need a new hobby. So uh, if you're fishing for sea bass in January and you can't hook them, <laughs> there you go. Your <laughs> wife was right. You need to get rid of all this fishing shit. And move go on s- go south and go golfing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and then also another takeaway, a real, a, a real one. You know, I thought it was interesting with a trigger fish, like, Hook up on one, wait a second, give it a little time, and then you might get two. So that's not a, you know, my my name is Billy Thorpe, and I'm a lot like Bill Dance, man. I will just rip the lips <laughs> off and let's get this thing to the boat. But patience is not my game. So that's a good couple tips there. <laughs> it is, man. I mean, it is. And, again, bottom fishing has a special place in my heart, man. Long time been a fan. And, you know, got to fish with Byron and, you know, love his approach to the game, you know, to that pastime. And yeah, man, I thought that was a good podcast, man. I think, I think a lot of people are itching, you know, to catch some fish in January and February. And though groupers closed, it's, there's still reason to go out there, man. It's still, yeah. as he said, challenging, but rewarding. I'm, I'm with him 100%. Yep. And you better listen to him. He's got the Cito shirt on safety first people. <laughs> Don't get out there and do something dumb. Uh, look at that guy, man. He's new, but man, that was a strategically placed Cito logo as well as the Onslow Bay logo. Man, he's playing the game. Yeah. Wonder how much he got paid for that, man. Do we get a cut? Yeah, we do. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna send Scott a, an invoice. You better believe it. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Billy. This has been great, man. Yeah, man. It's been fun. Been a ton of fun. Thank you again to Marine Warehouse Center, Bland Landscaping Co and R.A. Hitch for making it all possible. You guys are great, and we'll see you in the next episode, Gary. Enjoyed it. 